0: Author of Hidden History, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, and Survival of the Richest, Donald Jeffries, separates the real from the unreal. Fact from fiction. Fact from fiction. Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries.
1: Hello, this is Donald Jeffries. You're listening to I protest. Glad to have you here. Uh, we have a, a couple of great guests. And again, I think they saw some of my other interviews that touched on the same subject. We're focusing a lot of attention on uh, municipal corruption and uh, nobody's more corrupt than Child Protective Services, it seems. Uh, Mark and Terry Stemmen uh, were the parents of seven children and they were unlawfully separated from them by the state of Kentucky. Mark's a retired 20-year U.S. Air Force veteran from Cincinnati, Ohio. Terry is a stay-at-home mom of 17 years, homeschooling their children. They have started uh, an organization called Let Our Children Go, so we're going to talk about their situation and their organization. Mark and Terry, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Don. Thanks for
0: having us. Yeah, hi, Don. Thank you. It's great to be with you.
1: Well, it's great to have you here. So I I want to start off just let you guys uh, tell your story, and I think Mark said he's going to do the narrative, so... Just tell us how how this first got started. A lot of these, and I, a lot of the people I talk to, because so much has happened and there's uh, so much corruption being thrown at them, it's hard like to get the narrative. I, I want to go from point A to Z. So uh, tell us what's, when this happened along the line. You have seven children, so did this happen? Nothing happened until you had the seventh child, or when did you? It, was it something to do with vaccines or your politics? I'm guessing there was some triggering mechanism why CPS or the state went after you.
0: Yeah, well, it was a combination of several different things, Don, but uh, you we know, appreciate you covering this. Um, because is a very important issue. Uh, we know you've covered a couple of other stories and uh, and, and for your fine audience tuning in, and that just kind of sets the stage a little bit, Don. The big picture is that um, we have a um, we have a, a, an unchecked, rampant child entitled for money theft, our Social Security money theft operation, a predatory operation um, unfolding um, with destructive impacts in all 50 states across the country, um, and is, is, is operating under a disguise of a child's welfare or safety and best interest. And uh, we, we have identified it as a fraud op for exactly what it is because um, in most of the cases, um, there is no criminal charge against parents um, in respect to a child welfare action, even though in just about every state, as it is in the state of Kentucky, um child abuse and neglect is a, is a criminal statute. However, the fraud aspect of it is is that these so-called welfare agencies running this racket um, are making allegations um, against a parent in respect to the welfare of their child um, without charging them with the crime, and they disguise it as a civil proceeding. And unless there has been a contract made with the parents um, of children, with the state in respect to the welfare of their children, Um, There is no legitimate basis for it to be framed as a civil proceeding, which drives a whole host of other constitutional rights deprivations to the eventual theft of children. And so the way this is unfolding is that, um, you know, like I said, it's an allegation and parents are thrust into this system and then they're subjected to various services that uh, personnel in these agencies want to force upon them, and all of this is geared around the acquisition of our Title IV Social Security money, which was incentivized um, by the adoption of Safe Families Act of 1997. The CAPTA, the, the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act of 1974, kind of set kind of set things up in respect um, to establishing like a child welfare agency, but things really became ignited in 1997 with. Um, the huge amounts of Title IV money that flow out to the state agencies and to the respective uh, foster care providers. Um, And where this is very destructive in its operation is, is that in order for the state agencies receive bonus money under the adoption aspect or for the foster care placements, they have to increase the number of children taken every year. And so as you will have children who get aged out or they get adopted out, um, put in institutional placements, uh, the, the, they have to go and get more kids on the other end. And so every parent and child in our country right now is at risk. And then they have to, like I said, increase the numbers every year. So as we have almost half a million children, give or take a few thousand every year in the foster care system, this is affecting hundreds of thousands, if not millions over many years. And uh, the very destructive aspect of it is, is that if you don't meet what they established is some sort of a unattainable Moving the Go Polls type of criteria, um, most families do not get their children back, and they're always coming. And, and because the whole the whole idea behind it is 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 the money acquisition, and then of course we're seeing that um, child trafficking networks are getting a hold of children through the system, um, and then the money laundering, and then there's medical experimentation, and then there's um, there's drugging of kids that's going on, and then just a complete breakup of of the traditional american family is what's happening across the country and so um there's many other things that are going on with it that we'll probably touch upon if we go through the course of our time together today um, but in respect to our situation don what happened was is um as you stated we have seven beautiful children all from our now 25 year marriage very successful happy marriage um, all of our children um at had a, had a loving happy joyful home with us Um, We were a homeschooling family and uh, I was gainfully employed full time. And, um, you know, we had a lot going on, you know, when you have seven kids that are under uh, 17 years old, all the way down to three, it's a pretty, it's a pretty hopping home. And, you know, we were actively engaged um, with our children um, and and in the community. So, um, you know, uh, we were going to church, um, you know, involving our children, in all kinds of activities. And being that we were a homeschooling family and that they were going year round, um, we, we were really a, a, a humming family. And so, um, but we were happy and pursuing our happiness, uh, you know, law abiding citizens, um, not really having any problem with anything. And then um, things really kind of took a turn um, to our shock, um, unbeknownst to us, except for one story that we just came across around this time which was in february of 2016 so this is a little bit over seven years ago and um our our 17 year old daughter amy um, was out with terry one day and they were driving around and terry you know um said with something about did you see that and amy said no she couldn't see it and so um it appeared to terry that amy may have been having some some vision problems with her you know and being able to see certain signs and so um, she let me know about it and we talked about it and we were getting ready to open up these additional doors for Amy to, um, you know, s- some new areas of her life. And one of them was to get her driver's license. So we wanted to make sure that she was going to be okay and good to go. And so in addition to our concern in respect to what we had just become aware of. And so we had set up an appointment with a medical practitioner that we had never seen before. And, uh, They went into the appointment, Terry and Amy went into the appointment, and uh, during the course of the exam, you know, the check was done, and then it evolved into some sort of weird welfare well check, you know, which I guess is kind of like a standard operating thing for most practitioners now. But um, there were some probing questions asked of Amy in respect to her eating habits, um, and we didn't really know what may have been driving that, Um, but um,
1: seems unrelated to not being able to see well while you're driving. What are, I mean, <laughs> right. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: No, it's okay. But, uh, you know, Amy is um, tall and thin like us. I mean, you know, that's just her body type, you know, inherited from her biological mom and dad. And, uh, you know, um, she isn't the kind of a body type that would look good, heavy set. It just wouldn't fit with her bone structure. But, you know, we had always observed her eating habits. All of our children were always fed well. we, you know, we, we made it a point to make sure that they had a nutritional diet. And, and, you know, when we would take them out for like, you know, fun little family things here and there, just normal run of the mill thing. And, um, so in the course of the examination, Don, what happened was, is, uh, you know, they began asking Amy about her eating habits, I guess because she was tall and thin, but, um, Amy, you know, being tall and thin like us, um, you know, most adolescents, um, you know, they grow. They go through big growth spurts, especially girls. They usually develop faster than boys, yes. initially in their adolescence. Yep. And um, Amy was 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 developing that way. And uh, so everything we saw with all of our children was that they were all normal, happy, and healthy, no problem. So they wanted to take blood from Amy during his visit, and Amy didn't like, um, you know, the concept of having needles injected into her, um, especially unnecessarily. And so uh, Terry wasn't on board with us, so they refused. And so after that visit, um, you know, they came out, told me how things went. And then within a few days of that visit, uh, Terry began receiving these harassing phone calls from that doctor, insisting that Amy come back into the office and that uh, because there's additional issues that they needed to evaluate and that she may be anorexic. And we thought, you know, we thought, well, wait a minute. You know, we we know because that that is not the case um, because We observed our daughter her entire life and we have sit down dinners every night that we possibly can. That was like our main family thing was like after a full day of of work and school activities or, you know, just being out in in the community doing different things that we were going to be there for dinner. And that's what we did. That was our family time. And so um, we we did not call that doctor back. And she was very young, fresh out of uh, her residency. And, um, you know, we were just like that. It was just, you know, no, we're not going back. <laughs> okay. We have no reason to. And so, um, just for our own peace of mind, um, we, had, we had decided to set up a second opinion type of appointment um, about a month later. And that was scheduled for March 28th. But in, the, in this, this period of time, we, in addition to all of our daily activities, Amy was also, um, she also went to like a young junior miss pageant and she participated with vigorous activity with a bunch of other girls, a bunch of other young girls at a great time. She was the tallest girl, with the pictures that we were able to get of all the girls um, in the competition. And so, um, but she was, she it was very active and she had a great time, no problems. And so when we went, um, so the, the, the second medical visit was scheduled on March 28th. However, on March 25th, 2016, um, while I was at work in the afternoon, I got a call, um, and they, and my HR person said, you need to go home. You got an emergency. And so, um, you know, I went ahead and did that. And when I walked in, there was like, you know, she was upset she said, I'm getting these calls. Um, someone claiming to be from CPS and they want us to call them back. And, um, It was very strange because just a few days before the 25th, Terry had to go back to that same practitioner she went to the first time um, in order to get some paperwork in order to, to correct an issue in respect to Amy's social security card that we were working on the side. And when she went into that visit, there was no like push, like Amy's in imminent danger. Uh, You need to get her to the hospital. There was nothing like, um, you know, uh, you need to take care to the hospital. We've got this problem. There was none of that. But on March 25th, after I got this call, went home, and, you know, Terry told me about these calls as if from someone in CPS. I said, well, wait a minute. I said, we don't know who that might be. And I said, until we can verify that, we're not going to return the call. And so later that night on, we went down to, um, our normal family visit with her father uh, and his girlfriend, and they lived a few houses down uh, the street from us. And we went in with all of our kids and, you know, um, they went about right on into the living
1: this room. Is, this, is a, this is Terry's father, the grandfather?
0: Yeah. Well, this okay. is Terry's father, the children's grandfather, and yeah, his gotcha. living girlfriend. Gotcha. And she, okay. she um, works in health care. And she yeah. also had a brother who worked on the Louisville Metro Police Department. Um, are you okay with us mentioning names? Cause we put names out there. It's, uh, you
1: know, it's up to, you know, you're, you're mentioning it. I don't I, I'm taking you at your word. So sure. Yeah. Do, do whatever you want. Yeah,
0: It's okay. So anyway, her name is Julie Acef and her brother's name is Daniel Acef And he went one time on the Louisville Metro police department. He, um he, he was a major, but he, and, and he had worked in the, the narcotics division. Now this, the girlfriend of Terry's father working in healthcare, she worked in pain management and they always had like a lot of drugs in their kitchen whenever we went to visit. It was really kind of weird. But um, the way that this unfolded was uh, um, when we walked in and in, in, in the home, she, she approached me immediately and she hands me this document and now she doesn't work with CPS or any government agency. And she hands me this document and, and says it's from CPS. And I was, I'm looking at it and you know, you know, Don, having worked in the military and the nature of my work, I worked with a lot of official documentation. And so my first look at this document was, it was highly suspect as to any kind of legitimacy. It didn't even have the name of the government officials right on it. Um, It looked really cutely made, not as if someone would have written it in haste. And uh, then it was also really shoddy a little bit and it had a couple other anomalies in Um, you know, she took a swipe at me and and tried to like inflame the situation. And, um, you know, as if, you know, to try to bait me into reacting. And then when Terry tried to walk out, she blocked her. So it's, you know, all these other things going on. And so we were eventually able to gather up the children and peacefully walk out. We were not going to be baited and do anything. And we returned home to our residence. So, well, the, just,
1: um, can just interrupt you for a second. Just, I want uh, sure. so the audience understands. So this all, and I'm sure, obviously, this is going to get much worse. I can see it unraveling. But it all began when you noticed perhaps your teenage daughter trying to prepare to get her driver's license. Maybe she's having trouble. Maybe she's got some vision issues. Maybe needs glasses right now. My only suggestion, you see, a couple of people that I'm putting comments up on the screen who talked about uh, avoiding the system, and it sounds like maybe you had avoided the system up to that point. Because she's not getting, uh, she's shocked at getting uh, blood drawn. It seems like you did probably a pretty good job of keeping her away from from what mostly are psychos in in, in the medical industrial complex. But so for something like that, uh, this woman, this young girl who's just out, you know, fresh out, like you see so many young, eager teachers that are ready to indoctrinate kids, the same kind of thing, it kind of unraveled from that where you're you're maybe uncooperative about getting blood. Well, what's wrong with him? Why is she so skinny? So people, I know everybody in my audience understands this, but this is what's happening. This is not like they saw you, someone saw you sitting outside, uh, you know, smoking marijuana with your kid or something like that or you're drinking alcohol or something. There's no reason for this except for somebody, something is triggered and they think there must be something more there. So I, I'm sorry to, I just want to make people understand how
0: this started. Go ahead. No, I appreciate your comments. Yeah, and Terry wanted to make a comment on it. Yes, please, Terry.
2: So, Don, uh, so a a large portion of um, some of our children's growing up was when Mark was uh, active duty in the military, and they did receive uh, medical care through the the doctors there. But the issue was that um, a large part of his service had been in Washington State. And when he retired, we ended up moving back to the areas that we were both from. So we didn't have an established um, pediatrician or anything in the area at that time. And so that sort of uh, is what also contributed to, like you were saying, um, you know, not having been to this person before. And and you
1: you weren't direct because of the military. You weren't really in the system where you had a doctor. and, And so that makes you suspect right away. You're, you're, wait a minute, you're not, you know, what do you mean? Right. Right. They so, didn't,
2: yeah, so they didn't know really the, the, the records and stuff from the children from when we had lived in Washington and, and the things that they had, had been attended to there through, through the, the care that they had had there
0: yeah and i'll just kind of add on to that and that you know our our children um are always very well taken care of it's like if they had an issue we would take care of it you know and um, we were involved um, we, you know in a very loving way with it you know whatever they needed and but you know we always focused on prevention that's why we always you know fed them you know healthy food and you know that we we're doing you know and taking good care of them and and yet whenever there was an issue well, we would go and then you know you know so you know up to this point we had always had you know occasional well checks whenever we had to go in and, and, and things like that so it wasn't like we were avoiding any medical practitioners or anything like that you know and so um, if you're if your children are healthy you know you don't have any need to go to the doctor and so you know our children yeah. were healthy and when we recognized that there was something maybe wrong with Amy's eyesight that we wanted to get her checked out we took the initiative to go get her checked out okay and so and then went went so far as because that doctor was acting really strange and we were very uncomfortable because they were going further than what we were we were there for unnecessarily that even beyond that we we set up this second appointment with another practitioner just for our own peace of mind to make sure that yep we got someone else looking at it and everything's fine right so that did happen and i'll get to that in a few minutes but just to continue the storyline um so the next day you know after we went home we were calming down you know we tried to you know go visit um with her aunt and then that didn't go very well so we all returned home and then um the next day we got another document at our door it was just left at our door um as basically it was the same type of a shoddy document um, with the same kind of anomalies was the first one i just mm-hmm. talked about um and uh you know it just said you know that they were aware whoever they were they were aware that we had received the first letter and we need to call them right and so this second document just corroborated my own suspicion and looking at the first one that this looked like a forged document all indications were that this was not right and so In addition to the medical appointment that we had on Monday, March 28th, um, we had talked among ourselves and I said, well, I'm gonna go down to the CPS office after your medical appointment with Amy on the 28th and I'm gonna find out if this is legitimate. So nothing happened on the 27th and then on March 29th, um, we had another document delivered to our door stating that if we don't call CPS immediately um, but they were going to remove all seven of our children that was on the 29th before I get into what happened on the 29th I want to I want to I just want to um, pull back I forgot to get into the 28th because on the 28th what happened was Terry and Amy went to the second medical practitioner did the same type of a well check and Amy's height was shorter than the first practitioner and she was about 12 pounds heavier than what the first practitioner said and that put her in a very good range in respect to her body mass index And so they were so kind as to write up a letter saying that she was in good health and under no restrictions. And so we felt really good about that. And, um, Terry had the letter in hand when she came home with Amy, they went back to going about the regular business. Um, and I went to go see the CPS supervisor. And when I got to the LNN building in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, this was in Jefferson County. Um, I went in there and uh, went right up to the supervisor and I handed them these documents and I said, um, I kind of like, know what's going on with this. And he says, Oh yeah, we hand these out whenever there's a child welfare issue. And I said, well, what's the problem? And he said, well, we received, uh, he says, you know, he's looking at his computer screen. He's not looking off of any document and he says we got a document, um, saying that Amy's in imminent danger, uh, A diagnosis <laughs> that she's severely anorexic and without oh, wow. immediate treatment, she will die soon. Will you submit to an interview? <laughs> I said, wow. I said, uh, well, no, I'm not going to submit to an interview because I know that's not true. And and I said, uh, furthermore, I've got a good health document here from a medical practitioner, real time, stating that my daughter is in good health and under no restrictions. And so um, he he kept pushing me to do an interview. I said, look, I said he wanted to take the document off my hand and I wouldn't let him do it. And uh, He and I said, You can just call the medical practitioner, the second medical practitioner, with at this number, and you can ask them if you think there's any question in there's respect to this, what I'm showing you. And uh, he, he told me, He's like, Well, I can't do that because of HIPAA laws. And I'm thinking to myself, Well, yes, you can. <laughs> you guys, if you've got an investigation or some sort of an issue with a child, you can make that call, you know, you know. And uh, so at that point, because he kept pushing for the interview, I said, No, we're not gonna do that. And then when he was like, I you know, when I got up to walk out, he said, Well, I just want you to know that I can get that document. He's like, I was just trying to see if you would comply. You know? <laughs> and I'm thinking <laughs> and so this is like the first word I heard in respect to like comply, and I'm thinking, what? And then furthermore, I'm like, wait a minute, that guy just told me he couldn't do it, and then he's telling me now that he can do it. Yeah. He's lying to me. And so this guy's name was roy hardy he had been with the cabinet for health and family services for several years and uh, his name going to come up again um, probably a, a couple more times in respect to sharing the storyline so um after i left the office he told me i could go down to the records section and get whatever he wanted or whatever i wanted well i went down there standard bureaucracy no help nobody there after several minutes i eventually just left and i couldn't you know So I I got provided no documentation, just him apparently reading something off of a computer screen, alleging that my daughter is severely anorexic and that they have a diagnosis where there was no other assessment that could contribute to a diagnosis. And I'll talk about that here in a minute because um, what happened next was, nothing happens the rest of that day. Now he just told me that my daughter was in imminent danger of dying, (laughs) okay? And so, uh we have no police come to our house none of that on the rest of the day on the 28th on the 29th we get that other document delivered to our door um, and this one was similar to the first two cps documents but this one said that if we don't get we don't call cps immediately that they're going to that they're going to petition the court to remove all seven of our children now i'm sitting oh. here looking at this document don and i'm thinking mm-hmm i was just at the cps supervisor's office the day before why am i getting another document telling me to call cps when i had just been there (laughs) and so that just raised even more suspicion that you know none of this was looking right and so um later that night i had to go out on some business um and terry was home alone with the kids and as you know evening turned into dusk and into the you know the, the night as she was getting um, all of our children, you know, ready for bed, normal standard routine, um, we had something happen. And usually I let Terry check in and share this part of the story. Do you want to share it? Okay, so she wants me to continue it, but what happened, you know, again, I wasn't there, but this is what she told me, um, was that uh, she had someone uh, who appeared to be a Louisville Metro police officer um, and someone who was, apparently a social worker come up to, to the door and they knocked on the door and they said, um, you know, we want to, we want to come in and see the kids. And, and Terry was like, well, if you don't have a warrant, you're not coming in, into our house, you know? So they had no paperwork. They had no warrant. They went back and forth. Um, social worker went so far as like intimidating, Terry banging on the door, uh, you know, um, and, and insisting that Amy be taken immediately to the hospital that, you know, this is what she needed to do. And of course, well, Terry stood her ground. And so why my husband's out when he comes home, you know, you can stay here and you can talk to him when he comes home. Well, they didn't do that. So they left. And then when I eventually did get home, of course she was upset, calmed everybody down and nobody comes back. Nobody comes back the rest of that night. Um, and, and, and the most of the next day. Now this is where things get a little bit more interesting because I had taken the week off of work and on March 30th, I'm pretty sure that was a Wednesday again. This was seven years ago and I'm not referring to my notes right now, but um, they uh, we noticed that there was a a police vehicle, Louisville Metro police vehicle that showed up at the girlfriend, of Terry's father from the window at the side of the house that we were living at the time. And within a few minutes after that, around three o'clock they come down to our house and there was a couple of them and they come up to the door. We had all the windows open in the house. All the children were, you know, pretty excited because they could see the police coming, you know, to our door and uh, they come up to our side door and I was there ready to answer it. And they knock on it. They said, Mark, need you to open the door. You lost custody of all seven of your children. Just like that. You know, and I'm like, what do you mean? I lost custody of all seven of my children. I said, what are you guys here for? And they said, well, you haven't committed a crime. Uh, you're not going to jail, but you need to open the door and give it and basically us your kids. <laughs> and so. I asked them for a, I asked them for a warrant. I said, do you have a warrant? They didn't have a warrant. I asked them, do you have any kind of a, an order? They didn't have any order. They had no paperwork. Okay. Yeah. And so, and so they were like, well, we just want you to open the door and talk to the social worker. And so, you know, the social worker, her name was Shaniqua Potter. And uh, she was the woman who was listed on the, all three of the CPS documents that we had received up to that point. But this is the first time that, um, where she had physically made her presence known according to what we could see, you know? And so, um, uh, you know, it was just really weird because this happened around three o'clock in the afternoon. And then as this went on and we kept insisting that they show us some sort of paperwork for that, they could never do. Then they began apparently to make calls and this unmarked vehicle is in the parking lot, shows up in the parking lot. And where this is important is that, the girlfriend of Terry's father, her brother, that I mentioned a few minutes yeah. ago, he drove around in an unmarked car. Okay, that was his, that was his vehicle. And so um, we have video of all of this, and, and we think we have a pretty good picture that shows that that is most likely him when he mm-hmm. briefly stepped out of the vehicle. But anyway, so he, so anyway, all these police begin showing up and, uh, you know, I, mean, I said, look, if you guys don't have an order and you don't have a warrant, then, you know, you're not going to come into the house. And I said, you guys can see the kids right out here in front of the window because they kept saying, well, just, you know, can you just show us your children? I'm like, you guys have been looking at them this whole time This about, you know, is this is going on. And so um, we lived about 10. 15 minutes away from the courthouse and with sirens and lights flashing on your car you could probably get down there a lot faster if you had just forgotten paperwork and you had a legitimate thing going on no none of that happened so as we get all of these additional officers coming to the house nobody's making an attempt to do this and when i kept pressing them in respect to you know you got to show a document of an order they said well we have a verbal order and
1: (laughs) verbal order
0: (laughs) yeah a verbal order exactly So unknown to us um, at the time, you know, uh, I knew enough about court process, though, that uh, that you need to have some sort of a document. That's part of court process and serving a a hard copy document. But, you know, to say that they had a verbal order, well, we didn't know this at the time. But after we researched it, um, according to Family Court Rules, Policy and Procedure, FCRPP um, for the court, I think it's an 18 or 19, it states that no that that no child is to be removed pursuant to a child welfare action on a verbal order. Okay. So for these guys to be standing there saying, well, we have a verbal order from a judge. Well, you know, if you had a legitimate order, you make no attempt to try to go get one because number one doesn't exist. And then you're telling me that you have a verbal, which <laughs> you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to have that. So, um, after this went on, uh, Terry eventually called 911. Because we were we were feeling like there was an attempted kidnapping of our children going on, mm-hmm. the color of law kidnapping, and so when she did that, then a whole bunch of other officers came out, and we had basically our house surrounded with police. I mean, the from the first group that came out, you know, them running around the windows with their guns in their hands, and then uh, you know there must have been seven or eight police cars, and we have all of this on video, okay. And, um, again, the windows open, we're not hiding anything. And, uh, so then eventually Terry said, well, I'm going to call, you know, should I call the news media? So I said, yeah, go ahead, call the news media. So then the news media shows up. Okay. They start recording. And, uh, when they showed up, then uh, everything begins to take a different tone to this. Okay. And, um, then after a few minutes elapsed, we eventually got a, uh, an attorney that we're able to connect to the police officers. And then, um, then things began to wind down. The police began leaving, and uh, <clears throat> and um, strangely, the officers one of the officers came back to the door and he issues he issues a, he writes something on a note a notebook piece of paper, and he says you need to come to court on April the first and see Judge Haggerty. He misspelled her name, but it's Judge Haggerty. And- <laughs> so he's he's issuing a summons to court on a notebook piece of paper. <laughs> okay, and he sticks it in the side door, and I was like, well. You know, I'm talking to the attorneys, I can't, you know, that's not legitimate. You know, how can that be legitimate? So um, anyway, he said, we're going to go ahead and rescind the order. He said, but you need to come to court. Um, Here's your note on April the 1st. And uh, here's your note. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. you know um, i'm thinking to myself you guys are telling me up to this point that my daughter's in imminent danger of dying you're saying that there's a medical practitioner saying this um you come up to my house and you don't have any paperwork you don't even tell me why you're there you say i haven't committed a crime you have the big scene okay and then when the news media comes out and we get an attorney on the phone who who was really more interested in how much money he was going to try to get out of us than really working to try to you know deal with the situation um, they come back and they said, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. We're going to rescind the order. And I said, what do you mean you're going to rescind the order? You never issued an order. (laughs) You can't rescind an order that you have never issued. I said, whatever. And so they left all the police leave. Um, then the news media leaves and then things begin to calm down. Now, if we're talking to the attorney on the phone, I said, look, i said if those guys have a legitimate order i want to have a copy of that order whatever it is i said they didn't serve one they didn't have one and said then i want to have a copy of the rescission order and he's like oh yeah he's like i'll get that to you it's coming across the fax lines right now Were his words and then he hangs up and nothing else happens the rest of the night now this is a nice afternoon early spring and my children are wanting to go outside and we just went through this Huge harassment scene. We're feeling a little bit on the upside, somewhat terrorized. You know, I'm thinking what's going to happen if I let my children back out or is someone going to come back and grab them yeah. and run off with them. You know, I have all these concerns. Well, eventually we did let them go out and play for a little bit with our, with our oversight. And again, nobody came back. So the next day on April, on March the 31st, around nine o'clock, I get a call from that attorney. I spoke to the night before. His name was Corey Shipman with the Helmer law firm. And he says, uh, Marcus, I got that. Those documents that you were wanting He said, you come on down to my office and pick them up. And I said, "Wait," I said, I said, I said, look, if you've got some sort of a court process or something, I said, you need to have a police officer serve that. And bring him here. It's like, OK. And so within about 45 minutes later, the same two officers who were at our house that they come <laughs> to our house with uh, a couple of sheets of paper might have been, you know, Two or three sheets of paper and uh they 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 take a couple with them and they leave one in the door and so after they left now again they're not there to say your daughter's imminent things <laughs> are going to stay here because you know they're just dropping off this paper and when we opened the door and grabbed it after they left it looked like something that was just compiled on microsoft word you know like a word document and just someone typed up you know with some sort of a signature it was a hold and abeyance order saying that um we're going to hold in abeyance any further action, but you need to come to court on April the 1st, basically. And it had this signature of of judge Tara Haggerty um, dated March the 30th, even though they're serving it to me on March the 31st. And so none of this stuff, none of this stuff again, matches up with anything. And uh, the rest of the day, nobody comes back. And, um, so later that night, um, you know, there was a wind and rainstorm um, and, you know, someone came up to our door in plain clothes in the dark, of, you know, in the dark of evening and we couldn't really see who it was. And they left a big stack of documents on our door and they got a little bit wet before we could get them. And we pulled them in, we, we broke them out and it had uh, a summons doc. They, they were summons documents, one for me and one for Terry, for each of our kids, um, to appear on April the 1st, uh, basically the next day. And on these summons documents, it had no signature. Um, it, it had, it only initials of somebody. We don't know who even know who the initials were. And so as we're drying out these documents, um, you know, we're looking at them. Um, it had a couple of the names of our children misspelled, and it didn't have what it claimed to have attached to the documents. It did not have a petition, which was required by law to be attached. It didn't have an emergency custody order, which was required by law to be attached. And it didn't have another document. I don't know the name of it, some sort of financial document that needed to be attached to it but so it was just these two page summons documents for each one of us. And so when we took them in and we, when we tried them off and, uh, you know, the next day, um, you know, nothing happened tonight. So the next day, April, the 1st, um, we have this supposed appointment at one o'clock and, um, you know, because these summons documents look just as, um, shoddy and questionable as everything else we received up to this point. Um, we, uh, I called the Jefferson County family court called the courthouse. And I I was wanting to get some sort of verification that there was an open case or that there was something going on that we needed to be there for. Got the standard run around. Nobody could, could verify anything. And so what I did was I typed up a a quick letter to judge Tara Haggerty and all of a sudden our vehicle could not, could not start. Okay. Now where this is important Yeah, so where this is important is that the vehicle that we had was purchased off of the girlfriend of Terry's father um, a few months before because we had totaled our van. And in this vehicle, it had one of those Viper vehicle control devices where, you know, you can shut down a vehicle and they had that put on there because sometimes Terry's father, who is um, some who has uh, disabilities, would need to have the vehicle shut down and for other behavior that he would engage in. And so, um, anyway, all of a sudden our vehicle doesn't work. Okay. And so, um, I, we called 911 and we had a police officer show up and we're asking them to take this envelope down to the courthouse to state that these documents don't have the right people on it because we didn't want to be party to participating in something that may not have been legitimate. And so when the officer showed up, uh, they refused. They wouldn't do it, and so um, I'm thinking to myself. So with this alleged emergency here, we yet have another officer that's coming to our door that we're asking for help on because I'm I'm in a situation where now I'm feeling like my liberty or my wife's liberty or my children's well-being is now in you know increased danger, and uh, I want to know if this is legitimate. Well, of course, you know they didn't do it, as I said, and then one o'clock came and rolled. Came and went, and we were, you know, we were thinking, well, um, I guess if there's something legitimate, they're gonna, they're gonna come get us, right? <laughs> and so um, around 2:15, we had an officer who was dispatched from the Louisville Metro Police Department. He comes by and he says, um, "I don't know what's going on here. I was just dispatched for a welfare check." And we said, "Yep, yeah, we're fine. The kids are fine. You know, the kids are walking by us, no problem." He says, "Okay," and then he leaves. <laughs> And so um, nothing else happens until around five o'clock in that afternoon. And here's what happened. The social services supervisor that I went to go see on March 28th, Roy Hardy comes to our house with one of Terry's half aunts and comes up to our door with a stack of documents. And I said, Roy, I said, I don't know what you're here for. I said, but you have no case. You can leave whatever you have, but you have no case. Please just leave us alone basically. So he, he leaves the documents in the door and then he and Terry's half aunt go back down to our house or to her grandfather's house. And then they attempt to call us. And while I'm retrieving these documents and looking through them, there's a dependency calendar. Um, there's two dependency calendars with Roy Harvey's contact number on it. Um, and there's emergency custody order for each one of our children with an affidavit. And, um, there is a bench warrant on the dependency document for me for five thousand dollars but not for taylor or you know anything else and so um it was basically saying that you know i have another court hearing um that's going to you know and uh that um but no one's there to arrest us like we did anything wrong or anything he just and then we later found out that in the family court rules policy and processes that i talked about a few minutes ago it also states in there that social services is not allowed to serve court process pursuant to a child welfare action. And yet here's the supervisor, uh, you know, serving this court process. And, you know, when we were filing motions, Don later on in respect, you know, when we were trying to work this issue to reclaiming our children, when we went to the clerk of court's office, they stamped every page that we, that we gave them. And we got, we got a copy. However, on these documents, only the first page of the emergency custody order was stamped. It was stamped at like 333 on April the 1st. And again, they were there at five o'clock. And so, um, so no police officers come back. And as we're looking through these documents, it had many misspelled names. It didn't have all the blocks checked off. It was incomplete in various sorts. It met every one of the criteria under state law for a forged instrument, a forged document. Okay. And furthermore, it had Roy Hardy's apparent, signature on the deputy clerk of court block okay so this guy is like you know imitating a court officer and serving court process you know all of this unlawfully illegally whatever and so um you know
2: Didn't you mentioned how he left shortly after
0: race? yeah and then yeah that kind of comes up later but eventually he leaves later on um after after all this he leaves the cabinet but we'll get that in a minute so on april the second don because we were looking at everything up to this point i went to go meet with the jefferson county sheriff and we went to one of the largest churches that we went um that terry and i were married in and i went there and i met with three of them and then two of them got up i had a i, I had a i had a um, I had a, a witness from the church and so i had this other deputy there and i'm telling him the story like i've just shared with you and your audience up to this point and uh, you know this church witness, this guy, he's like giving you know me these weird looks, like no, none, none of this sounds right. And uh, when I got to the point about showing this sheriff that these documents were apparent, were a forged instrument, you know, obviously, and he saw that there was a bench warrant out for me, then he said, well, can I have your ID? And he walks out and he said, and he said I'll be right back. And I knew what he was going to do. You know, I knew he was going to make that call and see if there was really a warrant out for me. Well, a few minutes go by and he comes back and he hands me my ID back. And uh, he said, we just recommend you see if you're on the court docket. Okay, <laughs> apparently I have this other appointment for an emergency in the emergency division, um, I guess coming up on April the 6th. And so eventually we were able, so you know, I'm wanting him to open an investigation. He doesn't do any of that. He basically just gives me my ID back and then he leaves and that's it, nothing else happens. And so, um, Eventually, I was able to acquire counsel um, mm-hmm. on the recommendation uh, on some connections from the people in the church we were going to. And uh, he agreed to take our case and he said, well, just give me the good health document. We'll go down there. And he's like, I'll go down there and shouldn't be a problem. And uh, and then he said, well, no, now I, I need you to come down. And then by the time we got to April, the six was like, no, you and Amy come down. Um, but he never said that Terry needed to come down or any of the other six kids needed to come down which just me and my daughter and so you know when that day came um, we went down there and uh, You know, of course Amy when I, when I came to get Amy um, after meeting With the attorney beforehand. She's jumping on the trampoline with her sisters and Terry's going about her business Educating our kids we have to interrupt all of that and we go down to the court and uh, when we walk in um, Shaniqua Potter comes up to initially greet me that social worker I talked about, and, um, it was very, it was very uncomfortable and like wanting to shake my hand and, you know, but no one's saying Amy's in a danger. We got to get her to the hospital. No, one's doing any of that. Okay. It's just, they take her off with a guardian at light and begin asking her questions, which I was very uncomfortable with my attorneys like, Oh no, it'll be okay. And then eventually when she comes out, we go into, um, the courtroom and the the proceedings commence and i'm thinking to myself i've got this good health document i got my daughter um, worst case scenario the judge will say i want to have a third party assessment okay so here's how it unfolded the girlfriend of terry's father was there being that she's not married to her father and isn't a relative she should not have been allowed there under state law she was also there with her half aunt. so when we go in there and and the proceedings begin The other side says that I forged that good health document that we got in that second practitioner. And I'm thinking to myself, all you people have to do is make the phone call right here. And I'm pretty sure that practitioner, I know she's going to say, yeah, I wrote that and she's fine, right? Nope, they didn't do that. So they're pushing that I I forged the document. And so my attorney gives our good health document to the judge. And I'm thinking she's going to look at this. Her name was Judge Judith Bartholomew we were probably one of her first cases um, in family court. She was appointed by governor Matt Bevan, the previous governor to the now governor Andy Bashir. Um, and I think she came over from the criminal division, but um, she looked at the document and I'm, I'm just waiting for that answer. And she sets it aside and she says, uh, she says, I'm ordering you to take Amy directly to the hospital and uh, And she doesn't do it in accordance with government procedures, like a government official. She lets the girlfriend of Terry's father and her half aunt walk out of the courtroom with Amy. And Uh while I'm still sitting there, okay. Then they say, well, we need to detain Mark until we get the other six children. And so they call Terry on the phone. The judge calls Terry on the phone from the courtroom and says, I'm ordering you. I'm judge Judith. I'm ordering you to release your other. And Terry, um, says no one's going to take my children away from me and hangs up on the judge. Okay. And, uh, so I'm thinking, well, why don't you go ahead and make another call And they attempted to make another call and they weren't able to get through. And so <laughs> then the other side, the prosecutor, sh- the prosecutors on the other side said, well, um, we're going to go ahead and go forward and detain him. And so they put me under arrest and took me through the other door and began booking me without charging me with a crime. They they processed me as if I was being charged with a crime. So your attorney,
1: your attorney is there, right? What is your attorney doing?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm looking around at the bailiffs and some of the other people, and they've got these weird looks on his face like, why, why is this guy getting arrested? You know. And uh, um, later on, my attorney says, "Yeah, I'd never seen anything like that before." And I'm like, "Whatever." <laughs> the day after I was leaving, but anyway, when I was in there, okay, I was. Um, I was told I was put in it. Um, I was put in uh, um, in in the uh, I, I, I isolated room. Okay, and uh, and eventually, when I got brought out in the common area, you know, I was asking questions as to why I was going to be there and what I'm there for. And they said, well, you know, you're here until your court next court date, which was like a week away. And then when I went over to the other side, you know, five hours into this, and I'm asking, you know. How much longer is this going to go on? Because I was told that, well, they're just going to detain me. You know, they give me the full body scan, all the embarrassing things, fingerprinting, everything it works. Okay. Without saying you're under arrest for the crime of nobody read me my Miranda rights. Nobody said you're being charged with a crime or any of that, but I'm going through the entire process. And then when I went to that other side, several hours into it and asking, why am I still here? They be, you know, these are very coarse, nasty people in there. Okay. And so, you know, um, their response was, well, you're here for uh, child abuse, and neglect, seven counts, and you have a $35,000 bail on you. <laughs> I'm just like, so this is in total contradiction to what I just got told on the other side of the room, if you, you know, a little while ago about being there for, you know, my next court hearing. And so, um, 22 hours or so elapsed. And the next day I get my name called and, uh, you know, um, they let me walk out. They didn't say your chart, you know, they're gonna say about any charge rent, basically, just you're released, okay? Because and so, while all of this was happening on the other side, um, Terry's at home, and the social worker, so Shaniqua Potter, with the girlfriend of Terry's father, show up with Amy, and they began moving- her things out of our house down to the girlfriend of Terry's father's house. They didn't take her directly to the hospital as ordered by the judge. Okay. (laughs) They went back to our house and moved her up and down the street four times while she's in this unalleged emergency. Okay. Now later that night, they eventually did take her to the hospital. And here's the outcome of that. After 10 days in the hospital um, against her will, where she wasn't allowed to be outside. She was observed very closely, basically around the clock. Um, She was not diagnosed with anorexia nervosa, okay? Now, this goes all the way back to the beginning as we take a little bit of break in the storyline. In order for there to be a legitimate medical diagnosis of anorexia, according to the DSM-5, which CPS is required to follow in respect to assessing situations like this, anorexia nervosa is an alleged mental health condition. All right. And that would have required a psychiatric evaluation in addition to a physiological assessment to include the withdrawing of blood to make, to arrive at a legitimate diagnosis. So even from the very beginning was fraudulent just in the way it was characterized. And then it was furthermore supported after a 10 day imprisonment in the hospital, uh, that she didn't have that condition. We knew that, and then to make things even worse in the midst of all of this, The entire process, the way it's supposed to unfold, is they have to go through an investigation to determine the the legitimacy of the allegation and then corroborate the facts, get the the county attorney involved who's supposed to assess for the legality of this and all of this. Under that condition, alleged that alleged condition, they are required to follow a, a chapter 645 process under Kentucky Revised Statutes according to the Kentucky Robert Vice statues chapter I think is 610050. It says if the allegations involve a mental health condition, then the chapter, then chapter 645 provision shall be followed. It is an optional. They have to follow that. Well, in our situation, they did not follow a chapter 645 process. And what that would have been afforded with involuntary basically hospitalization there's um, a whole other slew of things where we would have been involved in Amy's care. Um, you know, it most likely would have prevented the taking of the other six children because it's an alleged mental health condition. Now, they characterize it as we failed to get Amy medical treatment, okay? Even uh, because we apparently did had to go back to that first practitioner, according to them. But, you know, there's no state law that says that we have to go to some doctor that we don't want to go to, okay? Especially when we're going to a second one who's saying that she's fine. Well, if you,
1: if you, you, I don't know if you mentioned the first practitioner's name, mention it again if you have, because it it just bears repeating. This all started apparently because some Karen type of young practitioner saw something that wasn't there or suspected something and tried to read something way that was inappropriate to her. You're talking, you're saying, does she need glasses, I guess? I mean, I, is there, do you, Terry, do you, at this point, do you, do you kick yourself and say I, maybe I should have just taken her to an optometrist or something? I mean, I, I it, or I don't, even want to blame yourself, but that was my first thought when you did that is that maybe, uh, you know, this was a vision problem, maybe because I, I know how that medical industrial complex is and you got the wrong person here.
2: Well, we actually, yeah, that was an insurance issue. We were, we thought that we had to go through, um, Oh, when right. We had military insurance, and um, when I had contacted them, I had been led to think that I needed to have a primary care manager refer us to an optometrist, and that's how we ended up in this pediatrician's office, and her name is Dr. Sheridan, right? Is that her name?
0: Yeah, Dr. Sheridan Langford. Langford, L A N G F O R D. F O R D. Okay. Very young um, at the time, and, uh, you know, after 10 days in the hospital, and like I said, not having that condition, instead of returning all of our children to us, then they began driving that train further down the track and intruding into our lives. And when they found out that we were homeschoolers and began these interviews of our children, um, you know, one of the things that they discovered was, well, our children didn't know what grade they were in. And because we never told them what grade they were in because they went year round and there were no grades with us. Okay. Cause we're homeschoolers right. and we, and we developed a culture of learning. We had registered with a state. We, have, we, we abided by every state law in respect to, you know, what we were supposed to do and notifying them that we were homeschooling. We did that, you know, the, the year before and leading up to it, we did it every year that we needed to do it. And so, um, so when, when, when they discovered that, then that was an added point that, uh, because they didn't know what grade they, that they were in. And then they went so far as to say, we didn't register with the state. Now we have proof that we registered with the state because the state sending us correspondence acknowledging, you know, that we were a homeschooling family, okay? And so, because we did not tell them what grade, they were asserting that we educationally neglected our children. And so as the months unfolded from there, you know, we were working with the attorney that we had um, who later, dropped Terry because she hung up on the judge and so she had to get a court appointed attorney and they split us in the court proceedings um, across the room. And, you know, we know how they do this. They do this many other times. They split them and then eventually they work to basically rip their marriage to pieces after they've stolen their children. And so what they were doing, Don, is they were trying to push um, services on us. They wanted us to comply with the case plan. They even went so far to lay out a document with a pen out in front of us and wanted us to sign it. And we said no we're not doing services we're not doing that because number one we weren't charged with a crime or let alone convicted of one and you know when they were we were you know uh and so you know we just weren't going to go there and so we were drafting all these motions for the attorneys to file in respect to the protections of our constitutional rights that we wanted the case dropped especially in the fact that you know, when we found out that Amy was fine, um, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't file any of our motions. They just kept wanting us to comply, comply, comply. And so when we refused and we went further into this, eventually they went to a a so-called pseudo trial and the first attempt at a trial in August of 2016, um, you know, we decided that we were going to go pro se now up to this time. uh, And around that time, um, they wanted to give us another court appointed attorney because, you know, when we dropped so they wanted to give us the daughter of the prosecuting attorney. They wanted to give me the daughter of the prosecuting <laughs> attorney as who is now a judge in that system, okay, as 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 my attorney. Or I thought, well, that's a conflict of interest, we're not gonna do that. So And know, they
2: actually did at some point and she's the one that instigated the child support
0: yeah well that's true i mean we did for a brief period i mean yeah in a, in, a, in, a, in a previous meeting i think yeah we did go with that and then when we discovered that she, we didn't know it at the time that she was the daughter of the prosecutor when we found out and that's when we decided that no we're not going to have any of that so even though you know they kept pushing it and so when we did decide to go pro se and we asked the judge is this a criminal proceeding or is this a civil proceeding No, I get lectured by the judge that I don't know the law and that if I knew the law, that this was a civil proceeding and I should just get an attorney, you know, get a court appointed attorney and do what they basically tell me. And so I'm like, oh, okay. so I got I got this on record This is a civil proceeding. But this is where the illegitimacy of it is in respect to what I was talking about at the beginning about the fraud. okay? and that there's um, you know, we are not born in this country, Don, under a contract to the state in respect to the welfare of our children. Okay. that is not something that you know that we have um automatically you know forced upon us we're, we're not under contract with anyone in the state so therefore there can't be a legitimate proceeding okay and so um the, we went through the so-called pseudo trial and uh you know the other side said their things and then we and when we requested a jury trial which is a inviolate right in a civil and a criminal proceeding in the state of Kentucky, the Constitution of the state of Kentucky says it's an inviolate right in Section 7. Um, they denied us a jury trial, which is also a federal crime and a deprivation uh, federal crime um, under 18 U.S. Code, Chapter uh, 13, Sections 241 and 242. And we have a document saying that request for jury trial denied. And so, um, we began to see how this all unfolded and that we were being denied all of our motions and the habeas corpus and the kind of shortened up the story a little bit and move it along to the really the big key points, and then we'll talk about some other things that I know you want to address. Um, we um we went, you know, they they continued on and we we went back and forth. We were filing our own motions and every motion that we would file in respect to the unlawful process that was not followed, um, you know, and that as an illegal proceeding and protection Nope wasn't looked at or regarded anything. And um, so eventually in 2017, they went to um, they they moved to give permanent custody of all seven of our children uh, to the girlfriend, of Terry's father, which is already oh. determined from the very beginning. OK, this is how it was set up on the emergency custody orders that Roy Hardy gave us. That they were already. Well, if I
1: can just ask a question about the the, yeah. the girlfriend now, what is the? Uh, this is the girlfriend of the grandfather, Terry's dad. Right. So why is first of all why is she so involved? Has she been? I'm guessing maybe she was critical of your parenting for a while or something. And is the grandfather going along with this as well?
0: Yeah. Well, um, there were they did not like number one our the our our religious faith. We're of the Christian right. faith. Okay. Right. They don't, they don't like, they didn't like the fact that we were homeschooling. Um, There was animosity against me for some unknown reason, you know, like they just didn't like the fact that somehow I married their daughter or his daughter or something, I don't know why. But, um, you know, uh, and then, you know, they just felt like they were entitled to be the overseers of our family. That's basically their attitude, okay? And um, so it was predetermined that our children were gonna go there. And this kind of violates some other federal law under the adoption of Safe Families Act in respect to like uh, child um, welfare action. They're required to notify all adult relatives within a 30 day period. And we can talk about that later as we get beyond the storyline, but um, they didn't do any of that. It was already set up where they were going, and this is all going to connect as we go along. But. As they moved to turn, as they, they, they did not terminate our parental rights, which is what some of these agencies can do to families, which is a whole other crime in and of itself. Um, basically giving permanent custody to other people, it has the same effect. All right. And so they were ordered to keep all seven children together, but that didn't happen. They were eventually split. So the sibling bond was broken, uh, between the girlfriend of Terry's father and her half aunt that I mentioned earlier. And, all of these things begin to have all of these indicators that wait a minute there's something wrong and then when the light really came on for us in respect to all of this was when we were looking at all of the cps documents um, the family court documents that we had had mailed or received from my attorney and then eventually when we went into the court file in november of 2016 and began um you know getting documents out of court file that we had to pay for 25 cents a copy and I think it was $5 to certify one. And when, you know, um, when, when they're taking your, your, your money out of your, your bank account for child support, which began in August, 2016, they started making us pay child support. Okay. After they stole our kids and our money um, to the tune now of $45,000 out of my military pension and subjecting Terry to the same. Um, When we compared these documents, Don, we started seeing very distinctive characteristics in their writing style um and similar images across all the documents and so what we did was we scanned every document that we could get and then we were able to acquire a letter that this the girlfriend that Terry's father wrote to us in 2013 um, a party invitation uh, going back to 2005 and other um, notes and things that this woman had written and I scanned all of those documents and we went from A to Z and from zero to nine across every document that we had, and we PowerPointed them and compared them. And many images were very similar, if not exact images, as if they were scanned themselves and basically Photoshopped on these documents electronically. And we got additional evidence of layering on these documents um, that we've already put out on our websites, HVSE.com, especially in the About Us tab. If anyone wants to go there and look at it, especially the interview, um, with James white of Northwest Liberty news. Um, it's episode eight of 10, seven counts of kidnapping, and a rep, one of You can see some of the things I'm talking about. And so what we did is when we began to see, um, all of, all of the the evidence there, then we began to go down the law enforcement channel. Um, we had an opportunity to appeal, but because we began to see that there was an infiltration into that court system with compromising control, and uh, that we didn't feel there was a place to appeal. And that's why we went to the state law enforcement agencies. And um, to make a long story short, um, everyone at the state level, um, from the sheriff, although through the state police, um, who we went through several times, all the way up through uh, the, the um, attorney general, who was Andy Bashir, now the governor of the state of Kentucky, um, the Department of Criminal Investigation, we went, uh, we even went to the governor's office and we had, we were telling them everything up to this point and they kind of gave us the indication like, yeah, well maybe they'll do something, but eventually they didn't do anything. They didn't open an investigation as we requested. Um, so we were uncovering all of these felonies, more than 50 felonies, and probably twice as many disdemeanors um, of all of these people. And so then we were identifying the federal crimes and even more federal crimes to included the deprivation of our rights, which as a veteran, you know, having taken that oath Don, is very, very important to me, you know, and um, I know the sacrifices not that just that our family gave for our freedom, but also many other veterans. I know what we had to go through, especially through, you know, um, that period, you know, from 19, you know, through the 90s and early 2000s. I mean, there was a lot of. A lot of sacrifices made by a lot of people.
1: Well, couldn't, couldn't the military, again, I I'm not, I am wasn't in the military, I don't know, but uh, couldn't the military have assisted you at all? Because it seems like you were on your own. And uh, what, what really uh, strikes a chord with me with your story is the same thing we see in all these cases. Tamson and Reggie Bowles, uh, the other people I've had on, where um, usually there's maybe a family member. I think in their case it was a neighbor who reported that one of their children looked really skinny, and that's how it got started. And their kids weren't vaxxed. It's a more recent case than yours. My guess is your kids probably wouldn't be vaxxed either. And that would be even more exacerbating the situation. But it looks like everybody let you down. And that's what was amazing about this story. Law enforcement is never your friend. They never help. Uh, the, the, did you try? You mentioned the media once. Almost all the time, local media is not interested in this because this is a fantastic story in terms of uh, the corruption that's involved. But they won't go up against the police, the the, the uh the courts, uh, you have Child Protective Services, the social workers, everybody's involved here. And there, nobody seems to be interested in keeping families together. And It seems like the goal from the beginning was to bust your family up and let this uh, girlfriend of your grandfather's, I guess, get custody.
0: Yeah, well, they, they, they wanted the kids. And we know there was a conspiracy to get the kids. And we identified out of these images I'm talking about over 1,100 images. Okay, so we're not just talking about a handful where someone can say oh that's just a coincidence okay it all points definitively to someone who had a pre-planned operation and what we identified is that the girlfriend of terry's father um, through this evidence has uh has been operating as a mole there we think it's been going on with probably the assistance of her brother and some other people and that we uncovered a child trafficking operation there in louisville kentucky and where this is important for the american people at large is that the family court system there in louisville um, it began as a pilot project in 1991 um, and spread out across the country across the state and now eventually was you know they they have on their website that they're a self-acclaimed national model so we think that what we uncovered there is likely may have been benchmarked and is happening in like fashion across the country and so this woman has foreign connections Um, and so we think that there might also be not just the foreign connections to maybe an international child trafficking operation, but also the movement of drugs, because like I said before, the involvement in narcotics and with the pain management company. Um, and then we have other things that I don't really want to mention here pursuant to possible, you know, real child exploitation and and abuse that I won't mention here, but people can fill in the blank on that, but you know, um, where this went was when we went to the federal, when we went at the federal level to identify the federal crime, because this is involving the, the fraudulent attainment of large amounts of our Title IV Social Security money. For every family that goes through this, to our, include ourselves in the fraudulent aspect, our Title IV Social Security money is being stolen. They're, they're being funded by this. We're, we're paying for it, okay? And so we, when we reported all the federal crimes, we went to that BI in Louisville Um, several times and you know giving them our crime reports and every time we went there we'd also go to the state police at the same time and we could never get any anything out of them so eventually um, we we kept going up the chain and uh, in May of 2018 um, we went to meet with two US attorneys in West Virginia and we spent an hour and a half with them and this US attorney along with an HHS investigator and a victim's advocate um were there and we showed them our evidence and he said well if you show me evidence of a federal crime then I'll move forward with it well he was convinced enough to take all of our evidence and he said I'm going to make a copy and then he was going to forward it back to Kentucky so within a few weeks um after being forwarded and we know that Kentucky received it because we got acknowledgement from them that there was an assistant U.S. attorney that received it Um, After a few weeks went by, they wrote back and uh, they said, well, we reviewed it, but um, we recommend that you go to the FBI. I'm thinking to myself, I had all of my crime reports are in that. And I told you several times that I had been to the FBI with all of our crime reports and if they had actually read it. They would not tell us to go to FBI because and that just shows that they never looked at. it.
1: Well, that's what that's what strikes me about your story and the other stories I've heard as well, is that uh, usually this doesn't happen to very wealthy people that maybe can afford a a great attorney. Uh, So it's always people like you that are left to your own devices and maybe you can get a lawyer. And if you do, they usually aren't any good. Uh, in the case of the one walked out on you because your wife hung up on a judge or something, it makes no sense. Uh, this one, you know, examined, looked at your stuff for two hours, and then said, "No, we can't do it." Uh, do you? The system is utterly corrupt, and you know it better than you are experiencing it firsthand. I write about it all the time, but it's and, and it's at all levels, and that's why your story is so important. And I hope everyone realizes people seem to like the fact I have stories like yours on uh, that talk about. You know, these are not getting front page headlines. There's not great political conspiracies involved in the corruption, the stuff I usually write about. It's corruption at the level and it's affecting you, your families, affecting families like you interfering with your right to have your children. And all these agencies are involved in a conspiracy. There's no question about it to do this. And you mentioned the child sex trafficking, uh, you kind of alluded to it. And that's another issue that's here. The ch- which CPS is, we know that they've been involved foster care and so forth and all that. So, uh, but anyway, I, I, I'm interrupting your story. Now. I want to get to the time. So basically, how does it? You know, we're gonna keep going. I don't know. You're in the, like 2018 or whatever, because I want people to understand what's going on with you now as well.
0: Yeah, and we'll, and we'll get to that. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna try to fast forward this along and just hit the high points. But you know, um, being the being a veteran, taking oath to support and defend the Constitution, <laughs> dying, and not complying with services because we were not convicted of a crime. Um, and the deprivation of the rights. The 13th Amendment, in our case, and many other cases, um, is being egregiously violated. It states very clearly in the in the 13th Amendment, and there's two parts of it. One, it outlaws slavery, and we and we the people are not to be subject to involuntary servitude of the government unless we have been convicted of a crime, right? And so that is what's happening here. They are attempting to subject us to involuntary servitude. And then because we didn't do it, because we didn't subject ourselves to that and comply like they wanted us to, um, they, they administered punishment upon us by basically facilitating the eventual official kidnapping of our children and giving them other people. And uh, that's an Eighth Amendment violation against cruel and unusual punishment. Any time an American citizen will be punished like this or in any other way without being convicted of a crime is, is a violation of the Eighth Amendment against cruel and unusual punishment. And yet, this is what we're experiencing in many others. And you know, when I mentioned about the services, Don, the services, the reason that they wanna push them, and, and this is a stipulation in the ASFA, um, is because through the services, like the first thing they want people to do is get a mental health evaluation because they want to they wanna come up with something to use against you that you're not mentally capable of taking right. care of your kids, and we see that happen. Um, and then they want to have you do anger management and most parents are pretty upset when they have their children ripped away from them like this and so it's a normal action to be a little bit on the upset side Um, and then they want you to go through family counseling drug testing and all all these other things that they just continually move the goalposts and in the midst of all of these services they force upon people that we refuse they get additional revenue streams opening under the asphalt and title IV money so that's why they want to do it And they don't use the services in most cases to facilitate the reunification, even though they say that's their goal, but the real outcome of is it with few exceptions is, um, not reunification is eventually to the fostering out and to the adopting out or permanent institutionalized, you know, children until they're 18 or 21. So they, so that's how they use those services is basically a, a, a mechanism through which they use to fabricate things or come up with things to use against people, and so we weren't going to subject ourselves to that. Now, another question people may ask or wonder is, well, have you had an opportunity to visit with your kids? And yes, the the answer to that is yes. Initially, we did. Um, at first, they were pushing to try to have us like go to a state-run facility where we we're going to be, you know, monitored through a see-through wall and with video cameras and. You know probably even have to pay to visit our kids, and then we really pushed back on that. We just wanted to visit at the church that we were living next to and going to at the time, and eventually they they allowed us to do that. But after the first visit with the associate pastor, when they found out that you know maybe he wasn't as you know um, involved in overseeing our engagement with our kids, then eventually they moved to require supervised visit with a CPS person. And when they began that and we went through one of those or two, and they were basically writing things down and we were wondering where they were going to you know, what they were going to do with that. And whether they were going to come, we didn't want to participate in that. And then the worst part of it was especially with our little three year old girl, Abby, who had never spent away from her mother, being ripped away from her mother and watching her basically, you know, extend her arms crying, you know, for her mommy. That we didn't want to continue to traumatize, not just her, but any of the other ones. And so, you know, in addition to all the crimes that we were uncovering, we felt that we had to, to get out of there to relocate. And we thought, we thought in the midst of all of this, that with the amount of crimes that we were uncovering and the, the, the lack of proper process that and letting the right people know that we would get quick action and this. This would be a quick return, but none of that has happened now. Seven over seven years into this. And so, um, you know, we're out here in the public arena and, you know, they eventually did, you know, split them up and then, you know, with the whole education thing that we were talking about, um, they, we had vaccinated our children with some things and there were some things that we held off on. We were doing an investigation on it, but they moved to put them into one of the worst public school systems in the fall of 2016. And they gave some of our children vaccinations probably even a second time without even knowing what they had actually had, because we never we refused to give them that information, even though we possess it. So they just acted in a haphazard way against our children, just to put them in one of the worst public schools in the in the state. And then the outcome of that was in respect to our daughter Amy eight or nine months or so after she was in that system, having been homeschooled with us her entire life, she became a a scholarship winner, um, a governor scholarship winner, I think, um, with the state of Kentucky to a college of her choice. And so, you know, it just goes to show that there was no educational neglect. There was no medical, um, you know, neglect in respect to this. We complied with the state law and yet they facilitated, you know, this kidnapping. And so, when we went to all these law enforcement agencies and we kept on going after the U S attorneys and you know, when Kentucky did nothing with it, we kept going all the way up to the highest levels of the department of justice. Because that's what we're taught in the military. you just keep using your chain of command. We, we attempted to reach people in the white house several times now in the midst of this entire journey, Don, and I'm going to wrap up the storyline here. We had engaged Senator Rand Paul and we met with him with people from five states mm-hmm. in early 2017. And we uh, met
2: him at his town hall.
0: Yeah, we, we first did. met him at a town hall um, in his previous election cycle. And I stood up five feet away from him and told him what was going on. And he put us in contact with his deputies. And one of his top deputies was involved with us for a period of time. We met with her um, twice uh, in person um, and it corresponded extensively on this situation, trying to get remedy. And really, the issue for us was with all the corruption that you mentioned, but in the broader scope of what we saw happening in the DOJ and FBI, even up to the current day and their failure and their elections to do their job, we were wanting to have a congressional inquiry and, um, our criteria met, um, DOJ criteria for a case of national interest. And that's what we were trying to get, not just on our behalf to investigate, not just what was happening in Jefferson County being that national model, but other families that we were becoming aware of across the country. And yet we were basically denied and ignored everywhere we went in short. And so we have had a total system failure. Um, all of our children have been hurt in various ways and, uh, of them remain missing. We have not seen or spoken to them, um, after their visitation. And so, um, you know, just going back to the big picture, Dom, before we get over to you for some comments, maybe talk a little bit about what we're doing now in respect to our, yes. our organizations. Um, we, you know, people may not know it, but in respect to hearing our story and maybe finding out what's happening in many other Americans in all 50 states, you will see signs in your community asking for foster parents. You will, you will hear one on the com- a commercial, on the radio or the TV. And this child and title for money theft racket that's operating in our country to the destruction of families, being that it's incentivized to take more kids, the big title IV money Don flows out when they're put in non-relative placements. And we did in about a year and a half investigation, and we got documents off of the state of Kentucky. One of the state of Kentucky um, agencies that indicated, you know, placements of children. Kentucky was number one at the time Um, in non relative placements and that even though you have aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, grandparents, you want to be care providers. They are not placing children that they're basically taking like this. They're not even considering it in most cases because the big title IV money that flows out to the state. And then of course the child trafficking networks are being fed with the children. How easy is it to to abuse a child one there with strangers? And you know, there's no respect for the, how a child is feeling. I mean, think about maybe a three or a five-year-old being ripped away from the only environment they know, and they're being placed with strangers Mm -hmm. on a disguise of safety and best interest, where they're really truly being beaten, abused, and maybe in some cases end up dead and never make it out. You know, this is what's happening. And so, you know, people, you know, there's nothing wrong with a foster care um, placement. If there is, number one, we have to take a look at this and say, well, first of all, the two, first two questions I always say to people is, if you want to think about being a foster care provider, first question should be is, is there a criminal conviction on the parents? And the second question should probably be, is there no family, okay? <laughs> because only with those two situations, and that's where it becomes such a rare thing, but this thing that's happening right now, is, it's, it's fueling the, the child theft, like I said, through the sexual exploitation of children, the destruction of the family, and the theft of our money, and so um, this is what's happening in our country, and we're out here in the public arena now to make people aware. And uh, that's what our letter our children go mission is about. We'll talk about way me what our focus of our mission is, but I'm going to give it back to you and or Terry, or um, she can talk a little bit more about the organization and the impact on children at large and what she's been.
1: Absolutely. Looking. Well, I, I definitely want to hear that from Terry, but I just want to make it so. It, uh, so we're up to date. but first of all. Again, the overall picture here to those of you who tuned in late, these people uh, had uh, good Christian people homeschooling their seven children. And they're all taken from them by the state after uh, just a series of uh, unfortunate events, is the, the movie and the book of the, the same name a while back, uh, that really were precipitated by a very innocuous thing where uh, Terry is out driving with her daughter And she thinks maybe she's got vision issues and might need eyeglasses or something. So they go to a medical practitioner. They think their insurance has to do that instead of going right to an eye doctor. And unfortunately, they run into the wrong medical practitioner, it looks like, who starts noticing things that are completely unrelated to eyesight and driving, like her weight and things like that. And uh, from there, it just kind of unravels. And then you have this uh, person in your midst that your grandfather's uh, or your father's, I'm sorry, your father's uh, girlfriend that is apparently after your kids to begin with. And that's what happened. So I want to, so it's just, it's just, it's terrifying because I I really can relate to this as a parent because, uh, and the other people I've talked to as well, it's just such innocuous things that set this chain of events. And it's, it's kind of like if you, if you've ever been to a psychiatrist or something, you know, uh, what Dr. Thomas Zaz wrote about this, in the manufacture of madness a long time ago, where, you know, once you've got a, you know this kind of label on you that something's wrong with you it's kind of hard to act normal it's kind of because you're you're under pressure and and they're watching every little thing you do he's you know he appears a little anxious so you know he's that kind of thing and in this case when you're under scrutiny for they think you're bad parents or something or you're neglecting their children it's hard to be to appear as good parents because you're nervous you're stressed out you're angry you said it's a system and nobody is on your side. There's nobody defending. You mentioned the media. And one, one last question that I want Terry to talk. Uh, they're usually useless in these situations too, just like a uh, national media. Did, did you try to contact any, was there any local reporter, any kind of seven on your side type that wanted to come out and say, you know, this is outrageous uh, what's happening to these. Uh, I'm guessing no, but just just to satisfy my curiosity.
2: Well, uh, that's a great question, and I would like to highlight um, that issue in particular because there is a reporter who is currently a reporter in Louisville, Kentucky. His name is John Bowl, B-O-E-L, and he did some uh, exposés on the CPS system there in Kentucky Years ago, uh, maybe around the same time that Nancy Schaefer yes, uh, was in the yes, of Georgia. Yes. So it was years ago that he did this, and the information that he did was very um, alarming. It's still out there available on the internet uh, the expose, the kind of information that he did on the system there in Kentucky. And so I did reach out to him. Um, I did reach out to, to other reporters. The problem with, um, with these cases, Don, I think with the mainstream media is they are um, partly concerned with, uh, I don't know if they're concerned with the state coming after them. Um, and so unless you have, um, Perhaps an attorney who is filing a suit on your behalf that they can report on a lawsuit. I just don't think they really like to uh, help with exposing individual, individual family cases. And that, you know, segue, I'll go back to John Ball here in a minute, but segueing into part of the mission for Let Our Children Go is to help raise awareness to the problem overall because I think the more that we can expose the problem, the general problem um, that that can be reported on, and that has been being reported on recently, ProPublica, um, I think, I don't know if it was NBC News or CBS, where they are starting to shine a spotlight on the problem of the system in general. And you know, I think that the more that we can bring it to the forefront of people's mind and raise awareness to how big of a problem the system is and the way that they are overriding people's rights and what they're doing that will be able to get more mainstream news attention on it now back to John Bull I did give him the information that Mark was mentioning about Kentucky being one that I think was one the worst at the time for relative. he did do a report on that he did take that information and he did put out a good report on that so he is you know, I have hope for him there in Louisville to continue. He does, He's, he's shown in the past that he's not afraid to address the issue and he has put out some really good reports on there. So I'm hoping that he'll continue to do that, uh, for your listeners, just so that they know this did happen to us with an, uh, an issue beginning with our daughter who was almost, she was 17 years old. Uh, and it did happen there in Jefferson County in louisville kentucky with involvement from the louisville metro police department and if you put in your search engine you'll come up some with some very interesting things for lmpd louisville kentucky louisville metro police department uh the ones that came to our house without any paperwork saying give us all seven of your children um so uh yeah that that's i like so that's a great question about the reporters and what i am seeing um, as the years go on, is that the issue is getting more attention from the mainstream news. And I think the more that people like you are willing to have families on to help get the, the stories out there, uh, that that's that that's a big help for bringing. Uh, we a, a
1: want to do what we kids. can, whatever audience I have. But so the. You said, so are any of your children with you now? And at least some of them, Amy obviously is an adult. So the ones that are adults are free to, they can't control them anymore, right? So they can have a relationship with you if they want. You kind of alluded to maybe they don't. So what is the state with your children now? You said you haven't seen four or you don't You don't know where they are or anything. That's just horrible. And the other three, are, are, is, are any at home with you?
2: So four, four of our children are still under 18. Um, our two older daughters, uh, we have had some contact with, but it's been very strained. Um, more contact with our oldest daughter, Amy. Um, and it's, uh, I think it, it's really hard to, uh, we're not in the same locale. Um, and she was away at college and, uh, I don't you know, I don't want to give too much of our personal information up but right. it is it's it's just it's very strange situation there's a lot of trauma there and that's another thing that we've learned and it's actually another uh, point of our mission statement uh, is the restoration of the families because it is um, a difficult thing that the parents and the children have to go through when they're wounded in this way by the government and the trauma that they have to work through after they're able to reunite. And we are happy to say that we have successfully been able to reunite with our oldest son and that he is with us now and that that's going very well.
0: Yeah, and one of the, you know, Don, when we were able to do that, um, one of the best things he said to me was, I didn't realize how good I had it." (laughs) <laughs> that really warmed our heart because, um, yeah. you know, he they all got placed in a horrible situation. But, you know, while I have a minute here, Don, I want to touch upon a couple other issues before I maybe give it back over to you and or Terry to talk about the organization and what we're doing. But, you know, um, this was the color of law kidnapping in our case and is a color of law kidnapping without there being a charge of or commission of a crime happening across our country. Now, in our, our situation, we've been able to identify who the people are that were involved um You know at least the core group of them and that this is a pre-planned uh you know conspiracy basically to kidnap and uh you know some people will say well with all these crimes uh, that you know i mentioned the felonies and the fraud and all of that the state and federal level people may ask well, how can they get away with this okay yeah and uh well number one is probably when you have compromises and controls maybe some good blackmail there there is also some other things that are actually in place additional color of law deprivations of our rights every state in our country has these immunity laws i call them color of lawlessness in respect to child welfare actions and one was a, was recently even put in place at the federal level interestingly during our timeline and we put this in our crime reports for investigation in respect to possible obstructions of justice um and who it may be involving in a much bigger a much bigger realm Um, but these immunity laws um, are actually in violation to a federal law that we've had in place going back several decades and it it was put in place as a result of the civil rights movement we think sometime in the 1970s um and for people who want to research it and i'm going to give you a couple references it's title 42 u.s code or u.s code title 42 chapter 21 Uh, Section 1981 Statement of Equal Rights, just do an Internet search on it. And in it, you will see that it will say at the beginning, all persons under the jurisdiction of the United States shall have the same right in every state to sue and to be subject for and to be subject to like pains, punishments and penalties, meaning criminal justice. So that involves social workers, medical practitioners, attorneys, judges. It involves everybody. There are no exceptions. And yet they have these other additional immunity laws in place that are actually deprivations of our rights because if you listen to the language of that statute i just read it says the same right now our rights come to us from our creator that our government is in place to secure and this is furthermore upheld by the supreme law of our land the 14th amendment equal protection of the laws clause it's in section one and so what we have going on in addition to the child and title four money theft on is this we have a seditious operation. That's what this rises to. And there's a law about a seditious conspiracy about being deprived of your of the laws of the United States and the, the laws of our rights. When um, we talked about corruption, corruption would where you have isolated pocket, but this is a widespread rampant thing that rises to levels of a seditious operation involving the undermining and to the harm and destruction of the basic uh, fiber of our country, which is the American family and, you know, good otherwise law abiding families and the theft of our money, this, this leaves people destitute. And so these immunity laws are not lawful. And so in addition to looking up that statute, um, you can also go to our website. Uh, we have two of them, but the other one that I mentioned, it stands for the Heritage and Freedom Coalition, which is one that I oversee. Um, and they can find that at h3fc.com and they can look at the all points bulletin APB three that we put out a couple months ago. If they want to find out more on that and just look around and there's additional information out there. But, um, you know, people will say, well, you need an attorney. Well, yeah. (laughs) And we have been to a lot of places. We've been to the homeschool legal defense association. We have been to, you know, first Liberty, we've been to all of these, these groups and agencies out there and we've talked to them, shown them how they've been depriving us of our rights. And, you know, um, You know all of the criminality and just hoping that we could file a civil lawsuit and maybe initiate a criminal investigation because of the failures in the doj and yet none of them will step up and do anything about it which raises a question why Yes. So, you know, are they are they blackmailed and compromised and controlled? Are they afraid of losing their license? Are they afraid of something else? Well, that,
1: that's why. That's what I, I really am drawing again to these sides that no one's on your side except for you know people like but the platforms I have people like me that will let you tell your story and I'm sympathetic to you obviously because I I'm frightened to death if something like that happened to me or someone I love because it, it could happen to any of us because in the case of uh, Tamson and Reggie Bowles it was a nosy neighbor in the case of you guys it was a a ridiculous medical practitioner that's just out of school and is looking for things that aren't there and trying to interfere with people's lives. And then you also have your grandfather's girlfriend that's there as well. So you have a couple things going on. They don't like what you're doing anyhow. So if you're already kind of out of the mainstream, you're, you're homeschooling, you're, maybe you're more religious than they want you to be. Or if you, you know, my case, if you're, you know, if you're going to espousing conspiratorial beliefs, there's anything they can go after you for that And they will. And that's, I, you know, I, I'm just struck by the fact that no, but nothing about this system. There's nobody there that no organizational structure, even, as you say, even the homeschool defense funds. If, I mean, if they won't defend you, who will? But you can't get anybody interested there even.
0: Right. So all of our evidence has gone out to a multitude of agencies and with a complete system failure. That's why we're in the public arena. And we'll talk about that here before you close it out. But I think Terry wants to uh, check.
1: Yes, in. please. So, go. Tell us about your organization, too, definitely.
2: Well, I wanted to say um, there was something there that I was going to comment on, but I can't remember what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so people can reach us. If they go to our uh, letourchildrengo.org, we have a contact form. So you can just – and our email is listed on there, too. I think near the bottom of the page. So if you just go to letourchildrengo.org, and what we're hoping to do is to work with other families and advocates – that are uh, wanting to bring awareness to this problem so that we can come together and be a united front to be able to force exposure of this issue and uh, move to a point of it being stopped.
1: Well, ha, ha, you were inspired to start Let Our Children Go. Tell, tell us, what first of all, how what have you been doing and what what is your have you are you just helping other families or are you getting many people calling you and saying i'm going through the same thing i need your help I mean, what, tell us exactly what the what the organization does
2: yeah so it was it was the organization was born out of me basically just interacting with other parents and finding out after this happened to us how many other people out there were actually being affected by the system in this way um, and so we do have a three part mission statement and uh, one of one of those things is uh, offering support to the families and restoration of the family as well as exposure. So we've done quite a few interviews. Um, people can just look, do a search for let our children go and please. Um, Take a look at what we've done. Please help us spread the news on social accounts. Uh, I put out a lot of mainstream news stories as far as what's going on with the system. And so uh, we also have a weekly show where we're interviewing other families to help get their stories out and to bring more awareness. And that can be found by doing a search for Let Our Children Go. Uh, So a lot of our uh, work is just bringing awareness to the situation, but also offering support to the families um, if they want to do interviews, uh, helping them get connected for that, um, helping them. Uh, I know you had Sylvia with Rescue the Fosters on.
1: Yes, yes.
2: Yeah, she's a great resource. And and
1: you you got, I think you, didn't you you, uh, suggest her to me, I believe?
2: Yeah. That's yeah she, she's she she's a great resource she's a former foster care worker um, so sometimes she's able to help in situations and and to give it you know to, to um, help with with things that come up and so um, if anybody out there has is dealing with this system has dealt with the system um, is concerned about what's happening with children um, isn't wants to be an advocate um, as you probably know Don I think you mentioned Lisa before, who we're, we're friends with. Um, this is yes. not just a problem for children. Uh, there's also yes. adult protective services Lisa Belanger. Yes, yes. to where they can come after you as an adult. Um, so this is not just limited to children the way this system is operating. So we really just want to gather people together and, and join together to work as Americans together to, to fix the problem.
0: Yeah, Don, I just want to add into that. There, there's another piece in respect to what our aim is. Um, we want to stop this monstrosity, okay? We do not want to see this happen to another family, and we want to do everything we can to help rescue children who are in these unlawful situations. And another element of the Let Our Children Go mission in respect to our outreach um, because, like I said, we, we went to Senator Rand Paul. We went to Mitch McConnell. We went to all of these government Thomas officials. Massey. We went to Representative Thomas Massey. We went to Representative... Well, you, you've
1: you got two of the best. So, so Rand Paul, if Rand Paul and Thomas Massey wouldn't help you, I don't know who would. Those are two of them. Well, I, what, just, I would think one of the be- the better ones,
0: right? That's that, that's what we were thinking. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter what representative, whether it be, it doesn't matter. This is not a Republican, Democrat, Independent, no. or worldview issue. Okay. This is an American freedom, we the people, um, our heritage and freedom issue. Okay. Our children are being stolen. Our money's being stolen. Our country is being destroyed from within um, by a disguise. And, and 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 you know we we have an enemy within that that's facilitating this scheme. And so part of our outreach is is because they will brush off a family here and there one at a time, or maybe even a couple or a few at a time. Um, but we want to, we want to build local action networks of informed citizens informing others whom this has not happened yet. And, and in the spirit of Benjamin Franklin, that the world is run by the people who show up that in building those local action groups across the country that and getting large numbers of people, because we want to prevent it from happening to others and also prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, that we will go to our representatives in mass and demand the corrective action. So here are your votes, do what we're telling you to do, uphold our, our, our rights. You know, one of the attorneys that we went to go see, he said to us, it was so brazen. He said, what's more important, your rights or your children? When We were trying to get help as if we should just comply and attempt to get our children. And (laughs) our response was, if we have our rights, we're going to have our children. And nice. it's true. If we have our rights and our government that's securing our rights, these things that we've discussed today are not going to happen to us or anyone else. And so, this is a we the people problem, and that's the end game of the let our children go mission. And then they become watchdogs after we facilitate corrective action. AsPA has to be repealed. This is the thing that's driving it: the Adoption and Safe Families Act that the Clintons enacted with members of the 105th Congress, igniting this with our money that we're what we're paying to facilitate these schemes. We have a right to say what's going to be done with our money, but they, we need to make our representatives known. And so the question before all of your viewers and all of our fellow Americans out there and listening to this and what's happened, not just to us, but many other children and families, do you consent to this? You know, is this this the kind of country you want to live in? (laughs) I mean, and then Don, you mentioned about, you know, about yourself, this same scheme and you know about Lisa Belanger. Yes. Um, this happens, the same scheme happens with adult protective services and we don't know, and, and, and we don't talk enough about it, but they can come in. Someone can make an allegation against you if they don't like your worldview, claim yes. you're mentally unstable, take you off into a mental institution, and your family from caring yeah. for you and then confiscate your assets. OK, yeah. this is the other element that's happening. And so oh, it, if, you, if
1: you just even had something like and it, what happened to the old expression, nobody seems to remember there. But for the grace of God, go I. Where's empathy for people? Where is I'm a civil libertarian and nobody cares I I can put myself in your place. Most people. And that's what civil libertarians do to realize, God, I wouldn't want that happening to me. We've got to protect this from. If you just had something like it's just na if I don't know what kind of a neighborhood you live in, but if you live in a big enough neighborhood and if all your neighbors were outraged and just assembled and protested, if you got a couple hundred of them outside the court, that would make a difference. At least local media would probably cover it. But we can't even get that. They're just they just go back to their house and probably throw, oh, yeah, they, they probably got it right. There must be something wrong with them. Anyhow, I mean, did you do you have anybody that was defending? You? Did you did you have friends or other family members besides the the girlfriend of your grandfather, was anybody on your side that said, this is an outrage and tried to speak up for you?
0: Yeah, that's a great question and I'm glad you asked it because you know, in the midst of this, it has a tendency to rip apart even extended families. You know, yes. one question people will say is like, well, what did you do wrong? You know, they'll say, you know, and it's like, well, that's really the wrong question to ask because unless you're charged are convicted of a crime, you haven't done anything wrong. And then, you know, because like in our case, we were investigating this and it's a real strain. Um, like you know to try to go out and get a normal run-of-the-mill job or they're just going to take your money in the name of child support you know and that money doesn't go to the support of the children that that goes to the state okay which is another account of involuntary servitude and then there's a proportionate amount from what we're learning and where we haven't yet verified it but a federal money that gets paid out um, some kind of a ratio pursuant to every 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 uh, child support dollar that they can confiscate and so. The destructive effect is, is that if they're stealing your money right out of your account, you know, how do you survive? And so, you know, we we were thrust. Our situation went to the extent of where we were made homeless, you know, and we were we didn't have a place to go. And, uh, you know, but by the grace of God, like you said, go I. okay, Um, he is at work and he does work in the midst of the, the, the hardest situations. And that's a whole other part of our story that has not yet been made known. Um, we have had miraculous things that have happened to us to even bring us to the point to where we're sitting before you today to be able to tell this and fight on behalf of other families. And that really goes into the support aspect of what Terry was talking about with, you know, the letter Children Go Mission because people are in the midst of this are, 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 are thrust into some severe hardships Some don't even recover from it, and uh, you know, right now we're we're you know we're being we're we're holding the line, so to speak, and being able to. Can we just take it moment by moment, day by day, even with a threat out there, with the criminals that we know that are out there that have done this and are doing it to other people. You know, I mean, are you familiar with the story of Nancy Schaefer and what happened
1: to her? Oh, and, I, I wrote about it in my book Hidden History. Yeah, I think her and her husband were, were assassinated. I don't think they Yeah, the right and then Linda Collins-Smith yeah.
0: in Arkansas a, a few years mm-hmm. ago. So, yes. you know, I mean, uh, it can be a dangerous thing. But you know what? We're not going to live in fear. We're not going to let these tyrants steal our freedom um, by scaring us. And this is where the networking comes into place because, you know, every one of us Americans has has power. We have we the people power and we need to get back to learning how to be and actually facilitate acting upon being a good neighbor. Well, well,
1: I think I think you're right. But one, one thing to, is that uh, you, you mentioned uh, having a church and being uh, religious. And one thing I've been very critical about this, about a lot of these issues, whether it's transgenderism or some of the crazy stuff that a lot of people object to. The churches are not getting behind. They're not going and protesting this Now, a situation like yours. You're a good member of the church. If these are all God fearing people, they should be outraged where it was. The pastor was your congregation. Again, you could probably get a pretty good amount of people there where they, I don't see pastors. I don't see churches doing that. Was your church of any help to you?
0: Well, you know, t- to an extent where, you know, like with the visitation, but beyond that, I mean, you know, th- th- this is the lying narrative that, you know, the whole safety and best interest And oh, what did you do wrong? And, you know, yeah. Um, this 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 enemy that's facilitating this it, it all begins with the psychological aspect of it when he will begin to buy into a lying narrative and, you know, it's real easy to sway them um, to accept, you know, that. You know everyone else that you must have done something horribly wrong to get your children taken away from you when really what's happening is that there's a color of law kidnapping scheme going on yeah and you're right and you know don with the church and that's what we thought we thought well if we just reach out to churches and veterans and you know that we're going to people that are going to step up and do this but you know there's something going on in the churches with the 501c3 thing um, yeah. that's kind of i think preventing some people from you know from getting active and that they're concerned about losing their status or something. But yeah, I mean, we're still working. But look, you know, we feel very strongly that the truth will set us free and that if we can just continue to plug away and break yeah. down that lying narrative. And then, you know, like with us, Don, we have the picture. We have the evidence to show that this is a national model and that it's not just CBS and family court. We have so, sure. we have we have problems within our entire system that's allowing this to happen
1: and an, and an honest system you shouldn't be in this situation because right away someone should have realized they should have realized this is a wild overreaction from the young medical practitioner to begin with. Whoever the guy you mentioned in charge of social service. Well, unfortunately anybody that goes into that, they tend to have that kind of personality, but they, they should have realized that, uh, you know, this is, this is, you know, nothing's really going on here. These seem like nice people. Their children seem happy, The police should have really said, I got, we have better things to do, you know, than this. These are not criminals. Uh, the local media should have been interested, and most importantly, your church should have been interested, and they should have been. And, and I, I uh, liken this all the time when I talk about the the basically the the fight of the right today, the MAGA type people, or and this is all kind of in that in that vein. Uh, you know, in the 1960s, the civil rights movement would not have been successful if it wasn't for the churches, the black churches. All all those leaders were were pastors, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Reverend Ralph Abernathy. They were talking about it in their churches, and they led the marches. I'm not seeing that happening now. And for every case like yours, there should be pastors, even if it's not yours. Some of these big, you know, $250 million super, you know, that had super churches. Why aren't they in the forefront of this? I mean, obviously, it's hard to believe that they're legitimate if they're not. I'm, I'm sorry to get on my soapbox. No, I it's okay,
0: that. Don. And I'm glad you mentioned it because, you know, for us, that is the most obscene thing in respect of what we've had to endure. You know, I mean we were a joyful loving home and we had a lot of uh, faith based -based things that we did with our children and we're being denied our first amendment to freely exercise our faith. You know the very thing on which our nation was founded and then to be you know a veteran and you know serving and taking that oath and to be denied all the rights that that our family know terry was with me for 11 years of my service and our children being out on deployments and missing them for many years on those things and to just watch the travesties not just unfold like this in our case but you know i didn't serve uh i didn't serve for this now i know there's a lot of good people in america we have experienced the blessings of the spirit and many good people um but we need many more people to step up okay because There's a lot of people being seduced by this lying narrative and, you know, Don safety, we talk about safety and I worked in safety, you know, safety in best interest of the children. And that's the paramount concern. No, it's our freedom. Our rights is what's the paramount concern because you know, safety is about acceptable risk. Safety isn't a guarantee from not being subject to any, any potential harm. Okay. I mean, everyone's subject to having an accident or having something happen. And it does not mean that you're an abuser or that you neglected your child. And again, this is why we have criminal due process, because everyone is presumed to be innocent until found guilty by a jury. And yet in the midst of this entire scheme and racket that we're talking about, these things are happening in close course behind locked doors. No juries, no public oversight, no reporting by the media, like you said. And so we're being denied. We the people government and uh, it's up to we the people to fix it. And so. I, I,
1: I feel for you. As I said, I, I can remember when my son was really little, two or three or maybe two, something like that. Maybe, no, I guess he was maybe one or something. But he had two accidents within like a two-week period. It's really the only time he ever had it. But one was he, he was just learning to walk and he tripped and he cut his eyelid on uh, the edge of the playpen. And so we had to have him go get stitched up. And then my mother-in-law was watching him. She did a great job of watching him. And, and we were painting the kitchen. I still remember. And he was running around, you know, like crazy as a toddler. And he fell and put a gash in his forehead. We had to take them and to the room again. And they actually told us that, you know, that you know, if this one more incident happens, social services is going to get involved. I mean, there were two just total ass so I, I can relate to how these things can happen just by random chance or or interfering neighbors or whatever, or or interfering family, but uh, just to the point, again, before, you know, we're running out of time here, and I want you to be able to say anything else you want about the organization. But uh, so do you have anybody? Do you have siblings? Uh, uh, Mark, do you have your parents? Any, any is there anybody that any aunts and uncles, not the half aunt that I guess wasn't on your side? Is there anybody that's, that's been on your side in the family and, and tried to be character witnesses for you or whatever thought you were being wronged?
0: Well, initially um, we did have some help, but then eventually, as this became a longer um, process, um, we were eventually kind of uh, placed in that other situation that we talked about. And um, no, like I said, it was for the goodness of um, great Americans that eventually will be named, and you know that, and they, you know, we we know who they are, and they have stepped up and there have been some who helped us. But you know, um, there are many families that need help. And, uh, you know, until this issue and the whole thing driving it is resolved, you know, they're going to keep they're going to, you know, if you get three or four kids, you know, that age out and you think, oh, that's nice. Or maybe one reunites with their family. They're going to go somewhere else in your community because they got to go get more kids, the more kids, the more money. And so they're going to keep the scheme going uh, to do all the things that we were talking. It's a form
1: of grooming almost. I mean, it really is. Yeah. They have have, have to
0: keep recruiting. I'm going to let Terry give a a closing comment or two here, Don, before you wrap it up. Please, please, thank you. Just wanted to say thank you for uh, on my end from listening and your audience for being so attentive. And oh. We ask you to please help us and other people, and I'll give it over to Terry.
1: God bless you, and we we all we all can relate to what you're going through, and we hope that uh, at some point, some authority somewhere uh, shows some sense of sanity and and uh, and uh, spirituality that they show they actually have a moral compass. Go ahead, uh, Terry.
2: Yeah, we, we would welcome anybody reaching, you know, people want to reach out, please do. Um, the, probably the best way to reach us is through email at letourchildrengo at protonmail.com. And uh, I just want to reemphasize uh, the part about um, how you were mentioning like Tamsin and Reggie's story and our story, and I know you've had Megan Walsh on. And so I want people to, even though each story is unique and, and, and how a person may get pulled into the system, it is happening to so many people yeah. uh, at any given time. There are hundreds of thousands of children in the foster care system. Um, so this is happening to a lot of families. And so even though our story may sound unique and people may think, oh, well, I don't have that kind of a relative or I'm not going to have that kind of a doctor or I'm not going to have that kind of a neighbor. There are so many ways that these uh, th- th- this entity can get into your life. Like you were mentioning, uh, Don, with, you know, if you do have an emergency and you need to take your child for for care at an emergency room, um, you know, uh, there are just so many different ways that, that, this, that these people can get into your life. And so yes. we want people to, to join together with us. And I did just want to touch on, too, um, there's some stories that I've become aware of as far as what's going on with the transgender issue with children. And there was a law that was recently uh, passed in the state of Washington. And there was a headline that came out from the Associated Press uh that trans minors will be protected from their parents and yes. there was a headline that i was showing mark today uh out of cincinnati about uh possible reporting uh of children of, of parents to i guess i am not sure the exact details of it but basically if there's a, a, a suspect that a, a child may be being abused because their gender uh um, their, their gender ideology or their, their, what yeah. they're wanting to be as a gender is not being respected by the parent that I guess that can be used as possibly um, an accusation of, um, I don't know, medical abuse, medical neglect, emotional abuse. And so um, as we see things progressing in society, um, uh, the, as long as these people are allowed to continue operating the way that they are, there's more things that are being opened up for to be uh, for parents to be uh accused of doing certain things and so like we brought out in our situation if you're not being charged with a crime uh, why are your children being taken and kept from you and i think reggie and tampson's story is so such a great example of you can get your children back and they can come back again take your children again you can get your children back a second time and you're still living under that fear that you don't know when they're going to show up at your door again as long as they're allowed to continue to operate in this way and so that's why we want to work towards putting an end to the unconstitutional actions that they are taking against families. We want to protect children. And the way that you protect children is you protect their parents. Because if the parents aren't allowed to protect their children, then the children are being turned over to the state and Absolutely being, right. being op- opened up to that. So thank and, you so much for having us here well, today.
1: It's, it's my pleasure. And I again, I just want to say, again, not only the churches, but so-called conservatives uh, who stress family values and claim to be pro-family you should be outraged if you were one half as outraged as all the trans activists are and tried to defend them and their right to be whoever they want to be and, and you know say whatever pronouns they want said there are lots of people that help those kids whatever troubled as they are there's nobody helping kids and fa- parents especially in your situation there's not I, at Rand Paul I'm really disappointed to hear that you know Ron Paul one of my heroes he wrote the introduction he wrote the forward to one of my books and uh I, I just that's just because uh, if he's not going to Thomas Nassie I would probably if I had to rate the people in the House of Representatives, right. I would probably put him number one. So if you couldn't get far. him. Yeah. I mean, if you couldn't get him to do anything, I, I don't know what that means. But we you know, need, there's something
0: else going on there, Don. And, uh, yes. but, you know, we the people have to fix it. Right. So we appreciate you having us. And, uh, you know, well, um, just thank you so much. And thank you to your. audience. Well, it's,
1: it's, it's my pleasure right. again. Give out the give out the links again one more time.
0: Yeah, the Heritage and Freedom Coalition can be found at h dot com, and then the one we've been talking about today is uh, letourchildrengo.org. dot org.
1: Fantastic. Well, that's it. you're doing great work, and uh, you're trying to turn uh, lemons into lemonade. And I wish you luck with your children. Hopefully, and I, I, I haven't had her on the show to discuss. With one of my friends uh, uh, had a, again her. Their kids were already two of the kids were grown, and the other one was 17. And they just, for whatever reason, one of the oldest daughters just maliciously reported them to Child Protective Services for claiming they were growing marijuana, which was ridiculous. They weren't. And they took the daughter away from them. Anyway, long story short, they got involved with this crazy Child Protective Services. It's been probably three years. They've had no contact with any of their daughters. So this is the kind of stuff, once these things, these, uh, they, they should have a... There should goals should be to keep the families together. I would think, but it doesn't seem like it ever is. But anyway, I thank you very much. Thanks everybody for listening. And please, uh, my my new book is out. Masking um, the truth: How COVID nineteen destroyed civil liberties and shut down the world. For by Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. Please go out and get it right now. You can get it. You go to my Substack. If you don't subscribe to me in Substack, please do. DonaldJeffries.substack.com. It's called I protest, like the show. For convenience, you can go there. And uh, I have details about where to buy it for now, and it'll be up on everywhere else pretty soon as well. But again, I thank you so much, Tony. Are you going to close this out? Are you out there, Tony? Or do I have to end it? I'm see if Tony's listening. He might have. A, he might have a comment or two as well. If not, I'll just end it. But I... okay, I, I can just end it. That's fine. But uh, again, thank you, Mark and Terry Stemmman. Thanks everybody for listening. See you next week on iProtest.